Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, November 6, 2022. Today's sermon will be part two from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 24. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn on your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, one more announcement. I don't know if it was on. I didn't pay attention. Sorry. I'm, I'm probably thinking, why don't we put that thing up there if everybody comes in and doesn't pay attention to the, to the announcements. But there will be a, um, a time of prayer uh, Friday night at our house at 7 o'clock for those who are able and interested to, to come. Um, so Friday night at 7 o'clock. And again, uh, echo what Scott said tonight at Central Baptist. Uh, Kristen and I will not be able to attend, and I knew that before we were even invited, but some of our folks will be going over that way, and if, if I can make it work, I'm certainly going to make my best effort to get there, but 6 o'clock at Central Baptist tonight for a prayer service. <clears throat> so Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 19 to 25, and this is part 2 from uh, two weeks ago, and we really won't get to verse 25, I'll probably end up... You, next week transitioning with 25 into the next verses but let me read 19 to 25 and then we'll pray and we'll get started therefore brothers brothers and sisters that's us since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity, this time to come together as we read these words from Hebrews chapter 10. Father, they are for us. We pray today, and I pray today, that in spite of me, you would work. Father, that Jesus would increase, that I would decrease, that we would, we would decrease, that Christ would be seen even as we take the Lord's Supper and we remember particularly his death this morning. I pray that you would be honored. I pray that if someone is a non-Christian today, Pray that today they would turn to Christ. Pray that your power would work in their hearts, that they would be regenerated, that they would be converted, and they would look unto Christ in repentance and faith. For Christians, Father, may we trust him more today, and may we be encouraged today by, uh, with, even as we see this passage, boldness and full assurance as we approach your throne of grace. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Today I will finish part two of a sermon from two weeks ago, as I've already mentioned. In our text, we have three very clear exhortations to the church, to those, in that context, those Hebrew Christians. Look at verse 22. He says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance. This is faith. We believe in God. We know He is holy. He is righteous, He is all-powerful, He is sovereign, and He is good. And so we come to Him in faith. As verse 11, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And then... In verse 23, go back there to 10:23, we see a second exhortation. First, draw near, then we see hold fast 
Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is hope. As Christians, we hold fast to our confession. And what confession is this? It is the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one, he is the one that God has promised. He is the Savior of the world, and in him all of God's promises are yes. And it, that's what that was the sermon two weeks ago. So we went through all of that with faith and hope. And then <clears throat> now we come to this third exhortation in verses 24 and 25. Look there with me. And this is where we're going to spend our time today. Let us consider. And so the title of the sermon is Draw Near, Hold Fast, and Consider. So today that's what we will do. We will consider. So let us consider how to stir one another, that's us, stir one one another up to love and to good works. So how fitting is that for us today as we take the Lord's Supper, which is often called the table of love or the feast of love. We come together very different from the world as those who really know what love is and we love one another. Jesus says to us, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, most, one of the most famous verses of chapters of scripture especially even for the non-christian who who has this read at their wedding first corinthians 13 even uh, growing up even my parents very clearly first corinthians 13 was always there for some reason because it it says so much but he says so now faith hope and what love abide but the greatest of these is love now So I've mentioned this before, but why is love greater than faith and hope? Well, one day our faith will be sight. So faith will be gone one day. And one day our hope will be realized in glory. But love will do what? It will remain. It will continue because as we read the Bible, nowhere does the Bible ever say that God is faith. Or God is hope. The Bible says clearly, God is love. And the reason we put so much emphasis on love as God's people today is because the work of God in His Son to fulfill His promise was motivated by love. For God so loved the world, this sinful world, we'll talk about that in a minute, that He did what? That he gave his son. So with this in mind, let's briefly consider this third exhortation to consider one another. And it's really under the topic of love, okay? So I have four qualities of love from this text. Here they are. Let me go ahead and give them to you now. Number one, and they're not real creative or anything, but number one, love considers others. So love looks outward. That's number one. Number two, love has good at its end. So love looks to do that which is good. Number three, love is mostly displayed in the body of Christ and in the world as well, but here in the body of Christ. And finally, four, which will be a bit shorter, but love is motivated by the gospel. And we'll talk about that as we transition into the Lord's Supper. But let's begin. First truth about love. Love considers others. Now, we can say this in different ways. We can say, love does not seek its own, even as 1 Corinthians tells us. We could say, love is not selfish. Love looks away from itself to others. And I get this from verse 24. Look there with me. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. So with this truth, I emphasize the words, one another. We often hear people say, the world would be a better place if we just learned to love one another. Have you ever heard that? Love makes the world go round. You hear even the, non, the very sinful world says this often. And, and that's, this is certainly true. 
But what the world usually means when it talks about love is the world means this. You are loving if you agree with me and uh, you agree with my position and then you give me what I want. That's usually what the world means by love. I, I saw a video a few years back. Kristen wouldn't remember this one, but there was a mother teaching her two boys how to share and love one another. And she said, and a Christian family, and she said, boys, Jesus loves. Jesus is love, and you should share your toys. Jesus would share his toys. And so what are you going to do? As she doesn't tell them what to do, what are you going to do this morning? And the older son, boy looks at the younger brother and says, you get to be Jesus today. I think that's what the world does. And, and so the love of self, above all other things, is the rule of this sinful world. The way of this sinful world is me, myself, and I. Give me what I want now and give it to me very quickly. And so this is very selfish. And to, to be selfish, at the end of the day, whether we like to hear this or not, it is to be an idolater. Because if we put anything, even self, above God, then we are an idolater. Think about the woman who argues for her abortion. Even though everything around screams, this is murder, this is killing, this is not protecting the innocent. She still says, it's my body. I want to do what I want to do with what? My body. Even though men and women do things that are unnatural, still around this, this world screams out, this is very unnatural what you are doing one with another. They still say, this is how I feel. God made me this way. This is what I will do. This sinful world loves itself. But you know what? Here we are as Christians today. It is not so with the Christian church. I think of Philippians 2 verse 3, which says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And we'll talk about that when we come to the Lord's Supper in a, few, in a few more minutes. Or James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly. So he's equating selfish ambition with that which is earthly. And that's a, a sinful way there when he uses the word earthly. It's unspiritual, even demonic, he says. For where jealous, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Think about that in your own homes. Where there is selfishness, what do we see? We see this maybe to a lesser extent, but we see disorder and lots of vile practicing but when we love and we put the other person first it practically things tend to go much better but this sinful world is the seat of selfish selfish ambition and this is why there's great disorder and every vile practice in this world at the end of the day so to love in this context is to consider one another. Love is not selfish. Even as we take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes and remember the death of our Lord, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Philippians. So think about this as we take the Lord's Supper when we think about what the Lord Jesus did. Paul says to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing. Have you done anything from selfish ambition this morning? Yes, probably. <laughs> we can think of all kinds of things that we do and if we don't do them outwardly where do we do this where, where do we commit the selfish ambitions anyway and we, we 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 commit them in our hearts but he says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests 
but also to the interests of others. So he does say look to your own interests, but look to the other as well. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's what he did. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So love considers others. And we'll come back in a few minutes and apply this a bit more. But that's truth number one. Truth number two. Love has good at its end. So look at verse 24 again. Same verse. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There's the command from our text this morning to us. And so in this text, the way we love one another is to, the word translated in the ESV is consider. And so we consider what? How we can help one another do good things and, and do good works. And here we see the phrase to stir up. Now this, you're wondering how I'm going to be able to do this, but I'm going to talk about beans. But just this week, I made pinto beans. I'm not talking about planting green beans or anything like that. That'll come back in the spring. But I have to get beans into my sermon every now and then. And a few other things. Jimmy wants me to get in here, but not today, Jimmy. But we'll do it. But I often, especially recently, we, we, we've been doing beans a lot more. And so I have a recipe for my pinto beans. So you guys are going to get it today <laughs> if you want to make some really good beans. But I start by washing my beans and getting everything out. And then any beans that float to the top, I pull them out. And then get out the crock pot, put them in there, throw the water in. And then eventually, I will, this is the way I do it. I add bacon. I add lots of, lots of onions. But we always make them really, really fine for our family. Put in salt, pepper, a good bit of honey, a lot of honey. And then ground mustard, if you can believe it. I never have gotten it to do like the ground mustard we used to get in, in, in Russia, in Turkey. But still, it works okay. So I put all of that together, and then what do I do? I stir it around. And, uh, and then as the day goes on, four or five hours later, I come back, and then I start, you know, the beans get a little bit soft. I start to taste the beans. And usually, they just soak everything up. I end up putting a lot more salt, a lot more pepper, a little bit more mustard, and other things in there, and I stir it up so that it will be good. And it won't, and I usually end up, depending on the bean, throwing some sugar in there because of, of, it just ends up being a little bit bitter. But I stir all of that in to make it better so that we can all eat it. Well, in the same kind of way in the body, we stir one another up to do good work so that we are better, we look better, we taste better, we, we feel better, all these things. And this is how we, according to this text, we love one another. Again, our great example is God, who is good. God is good. And what does He do for us? Romans 8, 28, what does it say? We know for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. For those who are called according to His purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. God sent His Son that the greatest good might come to us. I think of the Romans verses 29 and 30 of the same chapter. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified those whom he justified he glorified here we see the work of God in calling his people in his son this is salvation that's what makes us different well one of one of the things that makes us different we are saved as God's people that meets together here at grace on Sunday mornings this is one of the things that we remember in the Lord's Supper. For there's nothing greater than to know that your sins are forgiven because of the mercy and grace and goodness of our God to send His Son. So if you are in the Son today, 
then God is no longer angry with you. Your sins are forgiven and you have peace. You've been reconciled with God because of the person and work of Christ and his death on the cross. So in the same kind of way, we follow his example. We follow the example of God in doing good. We also look to one another in this way. Now, let me, let me, before I move to the one another's, which we'll get to the next point, let's think about how we look to do good to the world for just a few minutes. We're going to start there and apply that a little bit to us. But let's think about the world. How do we do the world good? Well, overall, the Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself. Is, is your neighbor just the one sitting right beside you? No. The neighbor goes all the way out to the world, for sure. And so we are to love the world. This means that we go out into the world in love, particularly as we care for their souls. Now, when we go out in the world, we can give to the poor, which is a good thing. And we, the Bible speaks greatly about do, working with the poor and the oppressed. We can do other things. We can build schools. We can have soup kitchens, we can stand against the unrighteous works of a sinful world. We can do that, and we must do that. We can enter into the public square to fight for justice, and we must do that because all of these things are good things that we do to the world. And we may improve, and we will improve as we get out into the world, our communities and our neighborhoods and our, and our counties and our states. We Based on the God's, God's grace, we can do that. But the primary way we love the world is by doing what? If you were to answer that question. Doing all those things I just said, which we must be doing, what should we, what should we do? How can we change the world? Well, we follow the command of Christ. As you go, do what? Make disciples. Teaching them to do what? To obey everything that, that, that I've commanded you, that Christ has commanded us. So the primary way we love the world is by telling them about Jesus. That God sent his son. Because Romans tells us faith, without faith it's impossible to please God. But where does faith come from? Well, we know it comes from God, but what must happen? Romans, give you a little, a little hint there. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? the Word of God. We must tell the world about Christ. And by doing this, we consider them. Because after all, it is because if you are here today and you are a Christian and you act differently, you maybe you're a better husband, you're a better wife, you are a better child, you're a better grandparent, you're a better worker, why is that? And we'll, I'm giving my, our end away, but why is that? Because the gospel came to you and it changed you. And that's what we do, we go out and we tell people so that the gospel can also change them as they hear the word. And I, as I think about this truth in my own life, I, 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 we all have ups and downs. I, I realize that. Um, we have times of less boldness and we have times of greater boldness. One thing's for sure, when we get together to do these things, we do it with more boldness. But I wonder, I mean, even this week, I, I, I just prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity and I had two opportunities to share the full gospel this week, both at a, just at a round of disc golf. There was three of us. God took one guy away because he made too many bad shots and got mad, left, left me with one other guy, and his name was Aaron, and he didn't even know what Aaron meant. We had a wonderful conversation about the gospel. So I think about this, and sometimes I wonder if we can't be selfish, if you can't be selfish, by not telling other people about Jesus. So this is, this is a hard one, but it is clearly in front of us. How many people have we, have you, shared the gospel with in the past month? You might say, I can't do that. I'm just too, I'm too scared. Well, you know, you might not be able to share everything, but you can share something. You can at least, a lot of times, I'm, I'm not very creative. I'm not, I don't get into conversations very easily. Some of you are really good at evangelism. I just come right out and tell people, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he sent him to this sinful world and I believe in him and it's changed my life. 
And I'll, I'll either get more conversation out of that or I won't. And so that's kind of the way I do it. But at the end of the day, are we not being selfish if we just keep this to ourselves? And so even, and even if you can't do it, can you not possibly, if they're in the neighborhood at least, encourage them to read their Bible, encourage them to find a good church, or invite them to come to Grace where they can hit, sit here and Lord willing Sunday after Sunday at least hear the message of the gospel. And so I, it's a question I have for, for myself for us, how selfish are we if we do not share the gospel? And you can ask yourself this question. And as we think, get back to on topic here, as we think about this sinful world, particularly those who persecute us, we are still told, this is how we are to be good, Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's not just Christians. That's the world. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Wow, that's a big one. Never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. That is coming one day. That's why we tell them that they might flee from the wrath of God that is to come. God says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, shoot him in the head. No, no, that's not what it says. It says if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as we've seen, we are told that one of the main reasons, I'm going to finish with this here, but one of the reasons that we do all of this, I'm going to just emphasize 1 Corinthians 9, 22. Paul says, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them and it, in its blessings. So by engaging the world in this kind of love, we consider them. And we want their good. I know this text is in the context of the church. So with that in mind, let's move to point number three and we'll get to, to us. But number three, love is displayed in the body of Christ. Now I would say particularly the local body right here with us. Okay? Now it, it is true, of course, as Christians, we love all Christians. We love the entire body of the world. We love our brothers and sisters in Africa and in Asia and in Australia, wherever they might be. But this love is displayed most here, right here with us in the local body of Christ. We might say that love is acute here. It is pointed right to the local body of Christ. It is the focus of attention. It is the most practical. Where else do we work out our love? Where else do we consider others? Well, we do it right here in the local body, which is the spearhead of God's active love in this world. And I would add, particularly this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, um, it's very important for us. So let's just spend a few minutes on fleshing out what that looks like here in the body at Grace. Um, and so when we think about this, what are the works that we're looking for? What are we looking to do one to another? Well, in order to get there, I must go back in the scriptures for just a minute and look at the context of the Hebrew Christians. And so in other words, what did doing good works in their context look like for them first? Well, what was going on in their time? Well, I believe great, they were under great persecutions and great sufferings. And I think even we'll see that. I believe that, that, that 
this was probably written, I think, before the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed there in their time. So great sufferings were coming and persecutions were coming. And I think it's very clear in, in this letter to the Hebrews. And so, if you would, look at chapter 10, verses 32 and 34. As they were being persecuted by the world around them, particularly the Jews, and then even the, the Romans were, were persecuting them as well. But look at chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. But he says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, in other words, something happened there, that's when, when they came to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The context was, as those Christians were being persecuted by the Jews and the Romans, particularly Nero in that time, there were other bad leaders as well, but when they labeled you as a Christian at that time, from what I've read, they took you off to, to jail or to prison. Well, not only were you there, but in those days, they didn't really take care of you. In order to be taken care of in prison, what had to happen? Well, your friends had to bring you food and take care of you day after day or week after week if you were going to stay alive in prison. And so these Christians were being wrongly persecuted and wrongly accused and there they were put in prison and so what would the other Christians do so the other Christians would take their things and they would go and they would give to these Christians in prison and then what happened they associated with those Christians and when those Christians tried to help them then they were targeted and so that while they would go off to help them then the communities there would come against them and take their own property, take their furniture out of their house and plunder their properties. So can you imagine that going on? Well, that, that was the context of there. But, the, of course, the text tells us they were able to help one another, and this was an act of love, right? So that's what they were doing. They were helping one another because they knew that the things of this world were going to fall away. And they knew that their possession of, their, of the city coming one day, that's the one they were looking for. Well, what about other places in the New Testament? What did it look like? Let me use one more example, Thessalonica. In Paul's first letter, he remembers in 1 Thessalonians 1, if you, you don't need to turn there, you can just listen, but if you, if you want to, you're welcome. But he remembers, right when he starts talking to them in the first part of his letter, he remembers their labor of love. Now, they, they, there were lots of things they were doing. They may have sent gifts to Paul and the other missionaries there. They welcomed them. But what were they doing? I tried to figure this out. What, would, what were they doing that Paul would say, man, you guys really love one another? Well, in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that, you, that we need not say anything. And then in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, In your love, you always remember us. So he's probably talking about Paul, for sure Paul, and his companions. He remember us kindly. So they were kind. And throughout the letter, he speaks of their love even more. In chapter 5, he gives some specifics as to how they might consider one another in their love. So some of the things they were doing. Chapter 5, verse 14 and following. He says, we urge you, brothers. So before I read this, this is what it might look like here at Grace to stir one another up, to do good, to love one another up into good works. This is what it would look like there. So this is what it would look like here as well. I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
admonish the idle. We might know, some of us as elders for sure, but you might know, which of us in here are idle? And need to be encouraged. Don't be idle. Don't, don't idle around. I mean, we look back through the book of Hebrews, it's full of warnings. Don't drift away. Don't fall away. Don't leave. And then even we're going to see next week, some of you, in whatever, for whatever reason, are not regular in the gathering of God's people. Whether, and for us, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's home groups, or whether it's even Sunday school to get more teaching. We're not so regular which is always a sign of coming apostasy. And that's, that's clear. And we'll see that next week. But admonish the, the idol. How, have we do, how do we do there? Do you admonish the idol? The, the next, encourage the faint-hearted. I think we probably do this a little bit better because it's a little easier because it doesn't step on toes. We're being a little more kind, we think, because when someone's suffering, when they're faint-hearted. But encourage the faint-hearted. How, how have you encouraged your brother and sister um, here at Grace, even in home groups particularly, or even here this morning. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. I hope we are patient one with another. That's how we love one another. Verse 15, see to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, these are the ways we stir up one another for love and good works. This is how we love one another. This is the salt and the pepper, the bacon and the honey of our love for one another as we stir one another up. So when you gather, when we gather on Sunday mornings, what is your goal? Is it just church? Just come again, listen to the preacher, sing a few songs, go home. Well, then the book of Hebrews is for us. What is your goal? When you meet in your home groups, is this what you do? What about when, and I'm very happy to see many of our young women and many of our young men and some of our older folks as well, meeting together outside of church. This is what we should be about. For what purpose? Well, it, really, we go back to Matthew 20, 28. We're making disciples, teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded us. But what are we doing when we meet with someone else? We're loving them. With what purpose? To do good. If they're faint-hearted, help them out. If they need some money, help them out. If they need some encouragement, help them out. If they're anxious, pray for them. Tell them, I've been there. I can help you get through this. This is what we do. Are we looking to do good to one another? Even to speak the truth in love, which is difficult. I have a hard time speaking the truth often. Less hard time praying for you and helping you. But we should spend more of our time also speaking hard things one to another for sure we must for this is the will of God for us in the church and I would say I think you know it goes back to the elders I have to put emphasis upon us because it is our job to create an environment where this is normal and I you know we've been together for 15 years and the church goes has gone through stages and I think I see more today than years past the need for counsel and counseling than we ever have before but it is still our job as elders to equip you to do the work of the ministry which is one of the reasons I try to at least this morning a little bit try to make it clear this is what we are to be doing together and then hopefully by our own works we can we can model that and so pray for us as we do that so with this in mind we're going to move on to number four but let's just take five minutes and I want us to read our covenant together because this is what it looks like here to love one another unto good works. So I'm just going to, I left my copy at the house. So I'm going to turn around and Greg's going to help us here. So <clears throat> just follow me along. Let's read it together. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and on the profession of our faith 
having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we joyfully and with the utmost seriousness now enter into covenant with one another as one body of Christ. We acknowledge our dependence upon God and the Bible and that we constantly need the assistance of the Holy Spirit, especially in fulfilling this covenant. Now, therefore, in the presence of God and by His grace, we commit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We will walk together in Christian love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will pray for one another and serve one another, giving preference to one another in honor and seek after that which is good for one another. We will bear one another's burdens in all humility and accept one another as the Lord has accepted us. We will affectionately care for, watch over, and faithfully admonish one another as God gives us opportunity. We will strive to live as Christ in the world and denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life, to be salt and light, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will guard our tongues, not speaking evil or complaining against one another, avoiding all gossip, not lying to one another, but instead speaking words that admonish one another. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, prayer, study, and fellowship, and will use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church and endeavor after unity of mind in doctrine. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves and lovingly assume our responsibility to participate in the discipline of our members as taught in Scripture. We will abstain from all practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or the faith of others. We will practice personal and family worship to train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will be witnesses for Christ, seeking the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, and all the world. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. That's what it, in a nutshell, that's our covenant and that's what it looks like um, as we do our best to stir one another up in love to do good works. Finally this morning, love is motivated or it's fueled by the gospel. So when we read these words and you hear me say these things, you might wonder, man, John, how can I do this effectively? How can I faithfully keep these commands, commands of Christ, to love one another? Well, the only way you can love one another, the only way we can love one another, is by the power of the gospel of Christ. As a Christian, you can do this. Now, let me just say something. If you are not a Christian, you cannot. All of your love will still be at the heart, still very selfish, self-motivated. Because you are still in your sins. You are still of the world. But as Christians, we can. But when we think about the non-Christian world, have you ever seen the flags flying maybe in somebody's yard that says, Love is love. I'm just curious. Have you ever seen that? I've seen it, and I always wonder, oh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, because from a manner of speaking, yeah, love is, is love. But I believe that those who put those in their yards are, are taking God out of the picture. And in doing this, see, what they're saying is instead of God is love, which we all learn from a child, especially in the South, maybe not so much anymore, but God is love. So they take God out of the picture. And so when they do that, what they're doing is taking the power to love, not to mention the example, but the power to love out of the equation. For we do not know what love is 
if we do not know that God is love. And the greatest example of love is what? For God so loved the world that he gave. So so let's start thinking, changing our minds now that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why would we perish? We would perish because we are sinners and we are separated from God. And so when God sends his son, he says all, as as we've gone through Hebrews, all of those ways and that system pointed to what was coming, the gospel of Christ. And so God sent his son. He lived a perfect life. So he wasn't like the sacrifices in the Old Testament, those animals. He actively, not passively, actively laid down his life as a perfect sacrifice. And God poured out his wrath upon his son. And those who believe, that's faith, we're talking about a couple weeks ago and even today, draw near with full assurance. And so those who trust in Christ, their sins are forgiven. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And that is why we are saved today. And so that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. In this is love, 1 John 4, 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for our sins. All the world knows is love of self, which is, as I began the sermon, idolatry. I want what I want, and I want it now is the mantra of this world. But brothers and sisters, we are different. Why? Because of the power of the gospel. If we go back and read 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5, as Paul was telling them about their love and how he was admonishing them and saying, your labor of love, I see it, but why? Right after he says, I see your labor of love, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5, he says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, he brings that out, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know that they were chosen? Well, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Brothers and sisters, we love God because he first loved us and he sent his son for us. If you are a Christian today, it is because the gospel has come to you in power and in the Holy Spirit. And we must remember that it is is the love of God and the grace of God and the power of God that has come down to us in the gospel of Christ. And this great gospel shows us in the example of Christ and teaches us about true love, but there is power with it. It is because of the gospel that we can look right one to another and actually do the things that I have talked about from this text today (laughs) and so when you want your way above all things you in your heart what we do as adults we just throw adult tantrums in our hearts and when our kids are crying they're doing it much better than us because they're not hiding anything but that's what the the world does as well but those of us who are in Christ realize that and we realize and we cling to the words of our Lord who said you know what I'm getting ready to go to the cross let this cup pass from me but what are his next words yet nevertheless your will be done and so Jesus is our example and the power of the gospel is our power to love because Jesus says apart from me you can do nothing so that's what we remember now as we transition to our time If you are not a Christian today, trust Christ. Look unto him. Believe the words that I have said. Believe the words of the Bible. That if you trust in Christ, you will be saved. If you look at your life and you go, John, I've never done those things. I just come to church. Well, I pray that you will be powerfully converted by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian and you're discouraged maybe by your lack of love, well, know that this sermon was for for you today and for us today that we might grow just a little bit more 
just a little bit more today and this week. And I'm going to do this more because I have the power to do so. And I'm not just going to love the world because the Bible tells me. I want to love the world because the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me and I really do love them. And I really do love God's people. So with that in mind, I'm going to transition now. If you are visiting with us, you're not a member here at Grace, we do practice open communion. You're welcome to come and take the Lord's Supper with us. If you are a baptized believer in Christ and you're not under discipline from another church, you're welcome. We've gone back to doing it the old way as we take uh, row by row. I think probably do two couple rows together if, and work that out among yourselves. But um, which elder is coming up today? Are you coming up, Blaine? If you want to make your way on up for this side. Before we start, though, I'm going to just lead us in a time of, of prayer. Um, let's have a moment of silence as we just consider the sermon and as we consider, you know, taking the Lord's Supper and remembering, remembering His death so that we might have the power to do the things that the Bible tells us to do. So let's have a moment of silence, then I'll lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for these words from this letter to the Hebrews and for the example and for the, uh, the words. It wasn't just for them. It, these words are for us. And your word is life and your word is power and your word is good to teach us and to rebuke us and to admonish us and to encourage us and to move, our, move us along by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. And Father, we know it is all possible, and not just possible, but sure, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And He rose again, and He sits at Your right hand even now. And in Him, we, our sins are forgiven. And in Him, all the things I preached about this morning are going to work their, their, their way out in our lives. But may we, all of us, follow this, the, these warnings from Hebrews. And look unto Christ. Give us grace, Father, that Christ may be more beautiful. Give us grace to move on tomorrow and this week. Father, because we know without Christ, we can do nothing. So help us now as we partake together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.